Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 37 of the Benzo Free Podcast. Things are better around here. Bear, my dog, he's feeling better, and his treatment's going well. He's had a few bad days, but he's doing all right right now. I do want to thank everyone for the wonderful wishes for Bear and for Shannon and me. Some of you shared stories of your own pets, and and it was really, really wonderful to read those and feel feel more connected with each of you. Along with Bear's improved health, though, my wave of symptoms is easing, and I am really happy to have that happening. <laughs> and before we get on to the rest of the podcast, I did want to update you on a couple of things podcast-related and community-related. So first off, I've been planning some interviews lately, and after this series on coping skills, I should have an interview or two to share in November and maybe even one in late October. And I have a few others coming down the road in the following months. I'm really excited about these interviews, so please keep your eyes open for coming guests. Also, I've been planning our next road trip, and it's coming together. I had briefly mentioned this, I think, in a previous episode. It, it is contingent on Bear's health, though. We, we just couldn't leave him if he's feeling bad or struggling, so that is going to be a factor, of course. But as long as things go as planned, I'll be taking a road trip to the southeast United States in November, and my wife will join me for part of it. And as I mentioned in a previous episode, I hope to do some roadshow events for the podcast along the way. I've already heard from a few of you who might be interested in meeting up along the route and even participate in an episode or two. I'll keep you informed as the trip grows near when I have more details and anyone else who is interested can let me know at that time. I also wanted to mention a symposium that happened recently. A week ago, on Monday, September 16th, the University of Arizona Health Sciences, in association with NEMA Research, held a benzodiazepine withdrawal symposium. Bernie Silvernail and Dr. Stephen Wright from the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices were also involved with the conference, and Dr. Wright was one of the key speakers. Many of you have heard about this symposium, and that's good news. Others of you, maybe not. This was a medical symposium, so it was definitely geared towards medical professionals and was not really promoted to the general public. Yesterday, one of our listeners forwarded a link to me with video of the conference posted on YouTube. I'm really grateful to her for sending that to me, so thank you so much. I'll, I'll put a link to this in our show notes. Now, I haven't had a chance to watch the entire video yet. I'm a bit cramped today trying to get the podcast finished, but I will in the next day or two. But I did want to mention the elephant in the room before anyone watches this video. It was not well attended. If you see the opening shot of the audience, this will be easy to spot. Only about 25 people appeared to be in attendance at the opening of the video. 
Now, for some of you, this will be shocking and saddening, and I agree. Still, for those of us who have been working in the community for a little while, it's not too surprising. This symposium is a step forward, much like the Tibbs Conference a few years ago. It's a long journey to raise awareness of an issue that so many have never even heard of. And it's only going to happen one step at a time. The upcoming CNN story on benzos will be another one of those steps, which I will also put a link for in our show notes. But this symposium did tackle one of the biggest issues we face. So many of us have had bad experiences with medical professionals during our experience with benzos, and we definitely want to get that fixed. Symposiums like this help educate those medical professionals, and I, for one, am very grateful to all those involved who put it together. And that wasn't the only big event happening last week in the world of benzos. Last Thursday, September 19th, there was a public hearing for the Massachusetts State Benzo Bill. Angela Peacock was kind enough to share a live feed of that hearing, and I was able to watch part of it. Thanks, Angela, for making that available. I'm not sure if a video of that hearing will be available at any point on YouTube or other public site. If someone knows that it is, please let me know and I'll share it on our website. Thanks to all the coordinators and participants for sharing their stories at that hearing. It's another great step forward. Today we will stick with our normal format, which will include our introduction, mailbag, benzo story, and feature. Our feature today is coping skills from A to Z. This is part one of a two-part series on that topic. And we still need feedback, as always. Yes, I've been getting more feedback lately, and that is great. Please keep it coming. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions, and even why I'm still writing this script at midnight instead of sleeping. I guess I got a little behind. Anyway, I need feedback. This is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes this community it was designed to be. So please tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback. Or email us at podcast at benzofree.org or comment directly on the podcast blog itself for others to see. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And one last thing, the Benzofree podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you are listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This does help new listeners find us. Okay, let's move on to our mailbag. Today we have two questions and one comment. The first question is from PJ in Illinois. PJ writes, Do you have info on POTS? The reason I ask is that I discovered how bad clonopin is when suddenly, out of nowhere, I was almost blacking out. Everything went gray, and I was lucky I didn't get injured or injure anyone else. I am 22 months in protracted withdrawal now after quitting cold turkey after 17 years of 0.5 to 1 milligram as needed to sleep. Thought I was alone because doctors said clonopin couldn't cause my symptoms. He said I was healthy as could be, so I started my recovery journey in a knee-jerk way. The wrong way, obviously. Never heard of POTS until today, but the symptoms include blacking out and all our other withdrawal effects. Hence the question. Thanks for all you do, PJ. Great question, PJ. First off, let's define POTS for those who don't know. POTS, or P-O-T-S, stands for Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. 
It's a condition that affects blood circulation. It's the development of symptoms that come on when you're standing up from any kind of reclining position. And it can be relieved by sitting or lying back down. The primary symptom of this orthostatic intolerance is lightheadedness, fainting, and an uncomfortable rapid increase in heartbeat. POTS involves both the autonomic nervous system, which controls your vital body functions, and the sympathetic nervous system, which activates the fight or flight response. People with POTS cannot maintain adequate blood pressure, especially when changing position, and thus can become unsteady and even blackout. I knew about POTS and have talked with a few people who have had some symptoms confused by it. In fact, we have discussed dizziness and related symptoms in episode 20, 24, and 29. Check out those episodes if you want more info. As I mentioned in some of the previous episodes, when I was in tolerance, I had a lot of problems with vertigo and even had the tilt table test a couple of times. Not a fun test at all, especially in severe vertigo. Even though I got violently sick, my heart rate didn't change, so I wasn't diagnosed with POTS. Diagnosis of any condition can be very confusing, especially during any stage of withdrawal. As is often the case, our symptoms far too often get misdiagnosed as a different condition, primarily because most doctors don't believe that our withdrawal condition is even real, and thus don't recognize it when they see it. For me, the vertigo is gone. Yay! <laughs> but I still get dizzy standing up sometimes. I believe mine is related to low blood pressure in protracted clonopin withdrawal, which I do have, but I may be wrong that that is the cause. I can't squat for more than 10 seconds without getting dizzy when I stand. I have to stop and wait about 10 seconds for my head to clear. I don't think my heart rate is affected, but I should probably continue to check that. As for blacking out, I have heard of that happening, but it is rare, thankfully. This is definitely something I would get checked out. It could be neurological or even cardiovascular. It's hard to know. I am not a medical professional, so this is a layperson's speculation at best. Please talk to your doctor and make sure you get checked out. If anyone has issues with this type of symptom or has been diagnosed with POTS or any other related conditions, let us know and we'll follow up with more information in an upcoming podcast. Thanks, PJ. Great topic. I really appreciate it. Our next question comes from Tina in Colorado. Tina writes, I am currently on a taper of diazepam, and so far, my withdrawals have been extremely mild. I am currently at 2 milligrams of diazepam, down from 10 milligrams, and have some depression and a little anxiety. I know that your podcast and many stories are for the horrible withdrawal effects from benzo withdrawal, but I can't find any stories of mild withdrawals on the internet. I was wondering if anyone goes through horrific withdrawals after that final pill, or are there people who have had mild to moderate withdrawal symptoms throughout? The anxiety of reading the horrific withdrawal stories are actually much worse than what I am experiencing during tapering. Thank you, Tina. Well, thank you, Tina. I've received a few comments on this subject lately, and it definitely concerns me. So let me address this one from a couple of angles here. First off, yes, most definitely, there are many, many cases of withdrawal from benzos which are mild. In fact, estimates say that 50 to 60% of long-term benzo users can withdraw from the drugs with little or no complication. 
And that's great news. And only 10 to 15% of long-term users will wind up in protracted withdrawal like myself. But when you read the discussion boards or listen to stories on this podcast, it doesn't seem like that, does it? Here's the thing. I said this before, but I really believe it is important to repeat it frequently. Most people who have little or no complications with benzo withdrawal don't go looking for online support. Thus, most of them don't wind up in discussion groups, listening to podcasts, or asking questions. To them, the symptoms are mild, if any at all, and many of them probably don't even know their symptoms have anything to do with benzos. Most benzo-free listeners, along with the majority of discussion group participants and others involved in the benzo community, are, for the most part, the unfortunate minority who have a more difficult experience with dependence and withdrawal. Thus, that is the key reason, probably, for the disproportionate number of severe withdrawal stories on this podcast and on other sites. Still, that that leaves me with an ongoing concern, one which I have been battling with since the beginning. I believe that sharing your stories and comments on BenzoFree is essential, and I'm not about to change that. But I also understand that these stories can be triggers and can paint a disproportionately dour picture of withdrawal. And for those of you who are just starting out or have just started your taper but are experiencing mild symptoms and don't know what to expect as you get ready to jump, these stories may be making things worse, and that's the last thing I want. The truth is, I don't know the solution here, except to keep reminding people that this experience is different for everyone, and please don't think anyone else's experience is going to be yours because it's not. It's important to understand that those of us on this podcast are often the ones in most distress. Most people will have a much easier time of withdrawal than we do, and I'm happy for that. But for the rest of us, we need support, we need help, we need connection with others who have gone through a difficult withdrawal. As for support for mild to moderate symptoms, I still hope most of our content will work for you. You still may have some of the same symptoms, perhaps fewer and less extreme, but that doesn't mean you still don't want information to help. I hope you can find some of that info you need in our podcast, and I would love to share your or any other story of mild or moderate withdrawal to help balance out our show. I just don't usually receive stories of that nature. This show is for all people who have dealt with benzodependence, and I never want to exclude anyone from that. And as for what to expect, Tina, for you going forward as you get close to your last dose, I wish I could tell you. Everyone is different. I can't tell you what to expect coming up. It might get worse. It might get better. It may stay the same. All I can say is take it easy. Manage your anxiety. Manage your fear. And that will go a long way towards making this experience a bit easier. Thanks again for your comment, and I wish you well. Our next comment comes from Nancy in England. Nancy responded to my comment in a recent episode where I said I thought I talked about myself a bit too much on the podcast. Here's what Nancy had to say. Just wanted to drop you a line to say I really enjoyed your road trip podcast. Although you had to cut it short, it must have been really good to be out of your studio. You ask if you talk about yourself too much. 
Not at all. I think when you talk about you, your withdrawal, symptoms, what you've overcome, what can still linger on occasion, etc., it makes us feel closer to you. It's like you're real and say it how it is. Your personal story and journey is important, as you are the face and voice of Benzo Free. Please keep talking about you. Well, thanks, Nancy. I really appreciate your comment, and I received a few others like that one. I hope sharing my intimate experiences connects with you, and that's why I do it. Still, I will be careful, and I look forward to sharing more content from the community via Benzo Stories, interviews and guests, questions and comments, and any other method available. Like I wrote in the recent blog post, I still hope Benzo Free becomes more of a community and has input from a wide variety of sources. Nancy also submitted a few other questions for us in her email, which I am saving for another Quick Questions episode, hopefully coming up soon. Thanks for all your support, Nancy. I really appreciate it. And that wraps up our mailbag. Let's move on to our Benzo story. Before I cover the story, I do want to thank everyone for sending in their stories. It's so nice to have a few in the queue. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear one from Chicago and another one from San Diego. And I really look forward to sharing those with you. But first, we have today's story, and this one is from Anne in California. Anne reached out to Benzo Free in August and described her story in two separate emails. I combined them here to make her story. Anne writes, I just listened to your last podcast and wanted to say happy fifth year anniversary. I'm looking forward to achieving that goal as well. I will be four months Xanax free on August 30th. And what a journey this has been. When I first open my eyes every morning, I wonder how the day will be or what symptom I will experience. But with the support of my loving husband and dedicated sister, I have made it through each day and count my blessings, as you mentioned to do, each night. I just started listening to your podcast, and I have to say, you have helped me get through each day on the right foot. I have a dog, and I promised myself that no matter what I felt like each day, I would take him for his morning walk. These daily walks give me an opportunity to get my mind in the right place. And now I listen to your podcast on our walks, and it makes the day so much better. Thank you for all you do for all of us, as there are so many people who just don't understand. And in her second email, Anne continued. Thank you so much for responding to my comment. I just listened to your last podcast, and I have to say that you touched me in a way no one has in a long time. To hear what you said about how you were feeling in the early a.m. reminded me of myself and how I wished I could wake up my husband at four in the morning when I was wide awake and just cry. And although my sister has MS and her own issues, she would allow me to text her at all hours of the night to listen and comfort me. I also did a lot of research at 4 a.m. while in bed about withdrawal symptoms and why I was feeling the way I did. My symptoms are pretty mild now for the most part, unless I'm in a wave. But I still have a lot of head issues as I took alprazolam for three years for chronic headaches. So what I'm left with now is head pressure and banding around my head, full ears, and lots of noises. My husband thought it would be a good idea to purchase a white noise system to listen to at night, but I'm not sure how great that is. 
As when I tried it the first night, I fell asleep but woke up with heart palpitations, another of my symptoms. My biggest issue is dealing with stress or when to stop doing a task. I overdo it sometimes, be it gardening, cleaning, or exercising, so I still have problems trying to say enough is enough. I was finally able to retire from property management, which was huge for me, as this was our family business. To give you a background on myself, I'm 57 years old, going to be 58 next month, and took Alprazolam XR 0.5 mg three times a day. My neurologist prescribed these to me for chronic headaches without telling me what would happen if I wanted to stop. And every time I would ask him about the drug, he would say I would have to take it for the rest of my life. I never doubted him, so I never thought to ask him what he meant by that. Then, last December, my insurance wouldn't cover more than one pill per day, so the only way I could continue with my regular dose would be out of pocket. Then my father passed. I, I took care of him. And it was downhill for me with nervous issues that I never had before, trembling, etc. I finally decided to go to my regular doctor, and he understood what to do. And we came up with a tapering schedule to stop taking this horrible pill. Anyway, sorry to rattle on, but again, great podcast, and thank you for everything. And one more thing. I don't mind at all when you talk about yourself. Well, thank you, Anne, and, 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 and thanks for being okay when I talk about myself. Still, I, I will try not to get carried away. I'm so sorry what you had to go through, but I'm glad you have found a positive attitude at times and that your symptoms now are mostly mild. That, that is wonderful. The support of your husband and sister are critical, and I'm so glad you have them there to help and that you are there to help your sister with her condition. Thanks for sharing this story with us today. I really appreciate it. And please, keep us updated on how you are doing. I look forward to getting a wonderful success story from you soon. Take care. And don't forget, we still need stories. Yes, we finally have a few in the queue to share again, but we can always use a few more, including update stories like today's. Just go to our feedback form at benzofree.org feedback and share your story or send us an email at podcast at benzofree.org. Now let's move on to our feature. Today our feature topic is coping skills from A to Z. This is part one of a two-part series on this topic. Today we will cover the first group of symptoms, starting with A and seeing how far we get. I actually don't know right now when I'm recording this part, but I will when I finish and we'll put it in the description. This is another feature topic, which came directly from one of our listeners. This is from someone who prefers to remain anonymous, but whom I've shared from before on this podcast. A few weeks ago, he wrote the following suggestion. My symptoms are all manageable because I am clearly aware of my limitations now, and I just have to work around them. You should do an episode on coping skills and how to go about life with all this going on inside. The reality is that it is a huge distraction to you, but nobody else can see it, and more importantly, nobody else cares. I'm sure a lot of us can relate to our friend's words, and I thank him for sharing them and providing the spark for this topic. Few know what we are going through with benzo withdrawal, how overwhelming it can be. That's why having a wide selection of coping skills on hand can be vital to getting through this difficult time. 
In today's topic, we are going to go through as many coping skills as we can. These can range from quick, simple tricks of the trade like breathing exercises, all the way to complex treatment methods like therapy. Some will be physical, some psychological, some alternative, and some even hypothetical. Well, (laughs) not really. And many in between. The information we provide will come from a variety of sources, including previous podcast episodes, uh, my book, Benzo Free, articles and scientific studies, and of course, from each of you who have submitted information to us. Now, of course, all of this is for informational purposes only, and none of it should ever be considered medical advice. I am not a medical professional in any way. In fact, this is also not an endorsement of any of these methods either. Just because I mention them does not mean I recommend them in any way. They are just options, and you need to do your own research, work with your doctor, and decide what is right for you. I've put links to most of the references in our show notes, so take a look there if you want to learn more. And that's it. Let's get going with the letter A. A for acceptance. Alphabetically, this is the first one, but it probably should be the last because most of us can't get to this stage until later in the process. One of the best things that happened to me during withdrawal was when I found acceptance of my condition. I stopped struggling and fighting my symptoms and instead accepted where I'm at. Acceptance can be a difficult pill to swallow for many people. No no pun intended. It sounds easy, but it's not. And it usually comes only with time. Most people experiencing benzo withdrawal see their recovery as a struggle, a fight, a battle of epic proportions, and it can be. They want to do everything they can to make it disappear, and if they can't make it go away, then make it as easy as possible. Find a way to have fewer symptoms or make it be over sooner. They want to find a shortcut. They they want to find sub-substance or elixir that will make all things better. I had the same attitude for most of my withdrawal. I fought it. Every time I had a new symptom, I wanted to know why. What caused this one? What can I do to make it go away? How long will it last? Why is this happening to me? What can I do to stop it? The precious few answers seemed to vary from day to day. And while I received a lot of support, there was never any real solutions. Over time, this pattern got old. I started to see the futility of it. My symptoms continued regardless of what I did, and eventually, my attitude towards them slowly changed. I I began to find acceptance. I learned to back off and let my body do what it's been trying to do all along. And that was to heal. We've talked about this many times on the podcast, the concept of our bodies healing and allowing our bodies to do just that. Sure, I still get symptoms, but they don't bother me as much. I'm benzo-free now, so the benzos are out of my system, and they're not damaging my GABA receptors or peripheral nervous system or anything anymore. All that's left is me and my body, and my body wants time to heal. A for active mind. More and more studies show that keeping your mind active is key to keeping it healthy. This goes double for people with anxiety and triple for people going through benzo withdrawal. If you're currently working, keep working. Don't quit unless you need to. If you aren't working, find something to keep you busy. Learn something. Take an online class. Read books. Volunteer. Learn a language. There may be days when you feel you can't do anything, and that's okay. 
but when you can, do so. Don't lay there in bed and contemplate the sad state of your life. I've done that and it ain't no fun. When you don't feel like getting up, try anyway. As I've said many times, fear is the number one enemy in withdrawal, and an idle mind is fertile ground for fear to take hold. Keeping busy mentally is a key ingredient to a successful withdrawal. A for active body. In addition to active mind, an active body is equally as important. In my book, I wrote about a research study in 2000, which evaluated three groups of patients who treated their major depression with medication, exercise, or a combination of the two. Although all three groups showed similar improvement early on, when tested six months later, the results were startling. The medication-only group had a 38% relapse rate. The combination group had a 31% relapse rate. And the exercise-only group had just a 9% relapse rate. And it doesn't take much. Studies have shown that the first 20 minutes of exercise garners the most health benefits. Even if you can't do anything else, a brisk 20-minute walk every day can do wonders. It's not just about exercise. It's about being active. Professor Ashton said the following, Regular to moderate exercise is recommended during withdrawal. The aim is to lead a healthy lifestyle, which by definition includes some exercise in a form that is enjoyable for you. The real trick here is to find exercise that you enjoy, one you will continue to do without even thinking of it as a chore. A is for acupuncture. Many recent studies have confirmed the benefits of acupuncture for anxiety and insomnia. I first tried acupuncture a few years ago while I was in acute withdrawal to help with my muscle tightness and pain. I had about six or seven sessions. I, I wasn't sure if it was helping me or not, and since I was starting up physical therapy, I decided to discontinue it at the time. I did try it again specifically for anxiety later, and I found a new acupuncturist who specialized in Japanese acupuncture. Again, I didn't notice any significant relief of my anxiety, but these are just my experiences and others have had more success. In 2019, a Hong Kong study published in the Journal of Psychiatric Research evaluated electroacupuncture for tapering from long-term benzodiazepine use. This type of acupuncture includes a small electric current which passes between a pair of acupuncture needles. It was a randomized assessor and subject blinded controlled trial. Now, while the electroacupuncture did not show any measurable gain in results over the non-invasive placebo acupuncture or regular acupuncture, both groups did show a 40% decrease in benzodiazepine usage. Some other studies do show that regular acupuncture can aid in benzo withdrawal even if the electro version of it has no additional gains. You decide. If acupuncture appeals to you, give it a try. Only you can answer this question for you. A is for aromatherapy. Ever walked into a room and caught a whiff of something that sent your mind soaring back to a different place and time? Our olfactory sense is one of the most closely linked with memories and emotions. Aromatherapy uses natural plant extracts to promote health and well-being. 
Recently, aromatherapy has become more accepted by the scientific community. I have used candles, tart warmers, and several other methods of aromatherapy during my recovery. Currently, I have a diffuser sitting on my desk, and I use a variety of oils for different desired effects. For managing anxiety, it's hard to beat lavender, in my opinion, but I also love sandalwood and eucalyptus. You can also add essential oils to body lotions, shampoo, liquid soap, or other substances for topical application. It, it is good to caution that you should not apply essential oils directly to your skin. Always use a carrier oil to dilute it. And it's a good idea to do a skin patch test before using a specific oil. B is for bath. Anything you can find to help you relax during this time can help. When I was really struggling with sleeping, I found an Epsom salt bath to be helpful. The magnesium in the salts soothed my muscles in my legs and chest, and the hot water helped to calm me, especially after a crazy day. I would even add some soft music and relax for about 15 minutes to prep me for sleep. I wasn't really a bath person prior to benzo withdrawal, but during, well, we do whatever might help us. And this helped, especially for those sleepless nights. B is for boundaries. Setting boundaries is one of the hardest tasks for many people, but also one of the most effective. For those of us experience moderate to severe withdrawal, we need to protect ourselves during this time. We are hypersensitive, both physically and psychologically, whether we like it or not. Thus, we get triggered more often. Establishing boundaries throughout withdrawal can be essential to managing your recovery. You can put boundaries on just about anything you need to, including what you eat, what you drink, what exposure you have to light or to sound, how much you exercise, how you handle your relationships, how you handle your free time, and on and on. I wrote a whole chapter in my book on setting boundaries during withdrawal. I also differentiated between two key schools of thought people often embrace during this time, including the avoidance school of thought and lifestyle. The first, I said, utilizes more boundaries, sometimes to an extreme. The other, lifestyle, tries to maintain a sense of normalcy. Regardless of your school of thought, boundaries can be a wonderful tool during withdrawal. Just be careful you don't get too carried away. B is for breathing exercises. Breathing exercises can be a wonderful tool for reducing anxiety, especially in difficult situations. This tool can be very helpful for anxiety and panic attacks. One, one of the most important breathing techniques is the 478 technique. And it's very simple to use. All you have to do is breathe in for 4 seconds, hold your breath for 7 seconds, and exhale for 8 seconds. That's all there is. Although there is limited scientific research to support this method for anxiety, there is a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest it helps. There are a wide variety of breathing techniques, so please look online and find out which one works for you. You will find plenty of options, I promise you. C is for communication. 
It's easy to forget that we are not the only ones who suffer from the symptoms of benzo withdrawal. Those who take care of us or live with us have to deal with the consequences too. And this is not an easy thing to do. In addition to having patients with them, especially if they are having a hard time understanding exactly what is going on, it's also important to maintain open communication. You need to tell them what is going on. Now, I'm not saying I share every negative thought with my spouse or every minor symptom. I would drive her crazy if I did that. It's never ending, and we would wind up talking about little else if all I talked about were my symptoms. You do need some reserve during this time. But that being said, you need to let them know what is going on. Let them know how they can help you. When to be by your side and when to leave you alone. When to encourage you and get out of the house. And when to let you stay in your room. Your loved ones are going through this with you. Please, don't shut them out. C is for counseling. You know, not much details to share here. Counseling is one of the most proven techniques to help with anxiety, insomnia, depression, and yes, benzo withdrawal. If this interests you, find a counselor who you feel comfortable with. That is perhaps the most important thing to remember. I have been in counseling throughout my withdrawal and still am, and it still helps. Not sure I would have made it without it. If you're interested in counseling, find a counselor you can work with and see if it helps. D is for disconnect. They say I'm old-fashioned and live in the past, but sometimes I think progress progresses too fast. No, I didn't make up that one. (laughs) I really wish I did. That's from The Lorax by Dr. Seuss. Today's world moves at lightning speed, and we all desperately try and keep up. It's almost insane how fast our lives move compared with just 10 years ago. Many of us can't even wait 30 seconds for a movie to download. A movie that just 10 years ago, we had to drive to the rental store to check out, and that's only if they had it in stock. Studies are starting to show how today's pace and the constant use of digital and mobile technology is changing the way our brains are wired, especially in the youth. This may be good for some things. In fact, as I'm writing this script, I have a browser window opened on my second monitor, and in just a few keystrokes, I pulled up a scientific study on benzos and electroacupuncture. In a snap. That's amazing, and makes my job here so much easier. But when it comes to managing the anxious mind, it may not be the best of friends. This pace This hyper-crazy pace and our new synapses which have rewired to adapt to it expect things to happen quickly. And we get anxious when they take too long. We have created a world where we are constantly trying to keep up with everyone else and failing most of the time. During withdrawal, it's important to know our limits. I found that detaching from the world around me for a while was a good thing for my recovery. I stopped watching all news. I couldn't handle the negativity without getting angry. 
I rarely went on social media. I watch less TV and movies and read more. I disconnected. I'm not saying this is the answer for everyone, not at all. It's just what I needed to do to help slow down life a bit so my mind could heal. Now that I'm doing better, I've reconnected with the world a bit, but not entirely. I have found that not watching news has been a wonderful treat for me, so I still avoid it almost entirely, and I can't say I missed anything truly important. I still rarely use social media, especially now that I took our Benzo Free page offline. I still read more. I develop podcasts, I do research, and I correspond with a lot of you. I spend time with my wife, my dog, our family and friends, and travel when I can. What am I missing out on again? I guess my point is this. If being connected is adding anxiety and stress to your life, try disconnecting for a while and see. Or at least put some limitations on it. You might be surprised how little you miss it and what you discover in its absence. Okay. Enough of my soapbox there, sorry. Back to the list. F is for flow. This one was from one of our listeners. She mentioned that she found some comfort in finding her flow. The term flow has been tossed around lately when discussing happiness and the strive for meaning in our lives. What is flow, you might ask? Flow is when you are doing something that is so enjoyable, so engrossing, so full of meaning that you lose track of time. It's when your mind doesn't wander and you are solely focused on what you are doing, when you are truly in the moment. As someone with ADHD, we call that same sensation hyperfocus. Most people attribute ADHD with restlessness and constant distraction, but that is only part of the puzzle. The other side is hyperfocus. When we dive into a task or activity, everything else can be lost. Nothing else matters. In fact, anything that tries to take away our attention can be met with irritation and aggravation. According to author Sean Kim, flow constitutes three requirements. One, it must be your own choice, something you decided to do. Two, it must be something you enjoy, something you find pleasant. And three, it has to be difficult. Enough so that it requires skill, but not so difficult that you cannot achieve success. Recording this podcast, writing this podcast, and corresponding with you, I often wind up with a sense of flow. And I thank you for that. G is for gratitude. I know, we've talked about gratitude many times in this podcast, so I don't need to spend a lot of time on it here. But suffice it to say, finding ways to be grateful for anything in the midst of withdrawal can go a long way to helping you find some joy along your path. There is always something to be grateful for in every moment of your life. Always. Find it. It might help you get through the day. H is for healing thoughts. This process of benzo withdrawal is a process of healing. I've said that a hundred times in this podcast and I'm not stopping now. And thinking of a symptom as healing as your body trying to get back to normal functioning can help see this condition in a less negative light. 
And easing up on that negativity and fear actually reduces your anxiety and the degree of your symptoms. J is for journal. Journaling is a standard practice of modern counseling and therapy and a standard practice for many people, whether it's keeping a diary, a journal, notes, whether you're in counseling or whether you're a writer or whatever you're doing it for. It is a very common practice for many people. Almost every therapist that I have visited over the years, and there have been more than a few, have recommended journaling to me. Keeping a journal has many benefits. For one, you have a record of your life that you can revisit when you want to or need to. My journal during withdrawal has become the basis for a good part of my book and the beginnings of this podcast. But perhaps the most important benefit is that it helps you to process your day. I try to make a point of writing in my journal every night before bed. This helped me review my day and keep track of the ups and downs as I journeyed through life. This process not only helps me organize and process my thoughts, but it also allowed me to let go of some of the events of the day and not carry them into my slumber. Writing in a journal also helps you to catch irrational thought patterns in your thinking. Catching these before you ruminate on them can help in finding healthier, more positive methods for analyzing your life. My mind is an obsessive, overthinking machine, so anything I can do to help reduce its activity or direct it in a more positive direction is a win in my book. K is for kindness. I've shared this one in the podcast before, and I want to share it again here. I've spoken with several people over the past year who tell me how upset they are, or how angry they are, or how ashamed they are for a mistake they made during withdrawal. Perhaps you overate one night and symptoms kicked in, or you had a sip of alcohol, or you yelled at your wife or kids, or you updosed and can't stop beating yourself up about it. Take it easy on yourself. This is hard for so many of us, and you will make mistakes. I promise you, you will make mistakes. Be kind to yourself. This is hard, and you are doing the best you can to get through. And equally as important, be kind to those around you. You need them now more than ever. Let them know that. I'm sure they'd love to hear it. L is for laughter. Laugh often, as much as possible. There's never been a time that you've needed laughter more than now. M is for massage. Liz is my massage therapist. She has been with me for over four years, most of my withdrawal. A, a semi-pro volleyball player in her spare time, Liz can dig deep into my muscle tissues when I need her to, or she can give a relaxing massage that will make me fall asleep in minutes. I only visit her every month or two these days, but part of the time during acute withdrawal, I was going every week, and it helped. Massage is not cheap, I'll admit that, but for some, it may be worth the cost. Only you can decide. Not only is it relaxing and helps with our anxiety, 
but our muscles can take a beating during withdrawal, and massage can be a wonderful treat you can give yourself during this difficult time. Many massage centers have excellent first-timer discounts, so check that out if you think this might help you. M is for meditation. You all know I'm a big fan of meditation, and it was the primary tool I used to get through my withdrawal, so I'm not going to linger here too long on this one. If you want to check it out, try one of our moments of peace at the end of most of our episodes, or do a search on the internet. There is a ton of information out there on meditation. In fact, I will probably do a whole episode dedicated to it in the coming months, so stay tuned. M is for mindfulness. Mindfulness often goes hand in hand with meditation, but they are different. Actually, meditation is really a part of mindfulness. Mindfulness is all about focusing on the present moment. What is happening right now? How do you be mindful? You pay attention. You pay attention to what is happening right now in front of you. I am king of not being in the moment. Trust me on this one. My brain doesn't help much either. I am almost always thinking of one thing or three things while doing another four things and not doing any of them very well. Mindfulness teaches us to focus on what we're doing right now, this very moment, even if it's something trivial like eating or walking or brushing your teeth. Pay attention to what you're doing. Notice every little sensation, the color of the sky, the sound of the birds, the smell of the bread in the oven, the taste of an orange. And as you notice that color, sound, smell, or taste, do it without any judgment. Don't judge that color as good or bad. Just see it. Don't judge that sound as sharp or flat. Just hear it. We we judge everything, and that judgment leads to suffering. As I mentioned before, the speed of communication in modern day life has only increased and our insatiable desire to judge and judge quickly has gone along with it. Recognizing this trait in yourself is an excellent first step in learning to lessen your own suffering. Try to experience the world around you as it is. That is the essence of mindfulness. And for those of us with anxiety, we are great worriers. And we worry mostly about two things, what happened in the past and what is going to happen in the future. We are rarely in the present moment. I must admit that I am a certified expert in avoiding the present moment. (laughs) In addition to my anxiety, I'm also ADHD, as I mentioned, and I rarely ever find peace from that wandering brain of mine. Keeping our minds focused on the present moment just makes common sense. I just wish it were easy. I'm not good at this, not by a long shot, not by a really, 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 really long shot, (laughs) but I try, and occasionally I have some success. Now, some of you are probably saying, why would I want to focus on the now when I'm in the middle of withdrawal? It sucks right now. Well, I wish I had a good answer for that, but I don't. (laughs) You have a good point. But not every moment of benzo withdrawal sucks. So, especially for the good ones, or the ones where things let up a bit, focus on those moments. 
Focusing on the moment without judgment is not easy, especially when you are in pain or distress. But with practice, this technique can make even those moments better. And you know what? Let's wrap up our feature right there. We're going to end in the middle of our M's. <laughs> and next week, we will start with M again and continue on and finish out this list. I hope you find today's feature informative. I really enjoyed this one, so I hope you have too. And before we get to our moment of peace, please allow me just 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give you a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, Continue on with your day. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place, where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for one minute. Today we are going to return to our old standard breathing meditation. We come back to this one every once in a while because it is the purest form of meditation. All you have to do is focus on your breathing. Focus on your inhale as you breathe in and focus on your exhale as you breathe out. Not much more to it than that. And that's why it's so effective. So let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in, hold it for a second, and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in, hold it for a second, and let it out slowly along with all the stress of your day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. And focus your attention on your breath. If your mind wanders a bit, just bring it back to your breath. 
no judgment whatsoever. Continue to do this for one minute. Our next episode is episode 38, and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.